What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Random Red Shirt Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Zach, and the other host is Chris. What's up, Chris? Hello, hello, Zach. Great to be here again. What's up, everyone? And thanks for everybody listening to us around the interwebs and world. That's <laughs> right. And um, for those of you who aren't tracking or didn't see our post on social media, we did surpass over a thousand of you listening. We really do appreciate it. Uh, it this has just been uh, very unexpected, I think, the response to the podcast, Chris, uh, since we started it. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. Very unexpected. Thank you so much. Um, we're just so happy that you love the things that we love talking about. So that's 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 just great to share that. Um, share that with all of you that listen to us. Yeah, for sure. Um, now, this is a special episode. Um, for those of you listening, you obviously saw it in the title, but you know, we're gonna we're gonna recap and cover Star Trek Strange New World season one, but we also have an incredible, incredible opportunity to sit down and talk to Bruce Horick, aka Hemmer in Star Trek Strange New Worlds. And we are absolutely thrilled and cannot wait to chat with him in just a little while, Chris. It will be fantastic. Um, it certainly will be. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing what he has to say. And uh, we know that you are too. For those of you who've been, who are listening, you probably are tuning in because you want to hear what he has to say. And that will be coming and just a little while after we're done chatting about uh, season one of Strange New Worlds, we will talk with Bruce. So that being said, Chris, uh, for those of you listening, uh, we are just two nerdy, geeky dudes who like to sit around and talk about nerdy and geeky stuff. And um, uh, this podcast, uh, we talk about a wide variety of things. Of course, the name, the random red shirt comes from Star Trek, but we don't just talk about Star Trek. We talk about all sorts of stuff. And like we do with most of our episodes, we like to start off with a little need to know. And what that means is, is it's some things that we've come across on, as you would call it, Chris, the interwebs uh, <laughs> of things that uh, we think you should know, obviously. Hence the name need to know. Yeah, I'm a little bit of a Captain Obvious here. Um, uh, and, and a lot of times what we do is we, we take these things that we feel you need to know um, that are recent, right? Like at the time of when we record this, it's stuff that's that's new. It's it's out there or it's coming out. We want you to make sure you're tracking it so you can go and check it out. So with that being said, Chris, let's start our need to know for this episode. What's the first thing our audience needs to know as of August 13th? Yes. Well, if you have Disney Plus as a subscription, I do. Um, we have some more new Marvel shows that are either uh, they're eminently coming out or out now. And I'm behind. I have not watched these, but She-Hulk is coming out um, as of August 17th. I've, I've seen some snippets of reviews and heard like some really positive things. So that, that sounds like it's going to be great. And then I am Groot. Now I am Groot. I believe that is a shoot off from Guardians of the Galaxy, right? So that'll be that'll be pretty, pretty neat to see on Disney Plus. Yeah. Yes, it absolutely is. Um and it, it should be a good little series. I Is it animated? It might be animated. I can't remember. Um, I saw the preview for it a while back. But um, that is something. Yeah, both shows coming out. The She-Hulk looks really good. Some, some good comedy in there. There's some appearances by Hulk and stuff. So the, the trailer made it look pretty good. So that should be exciting. Now, Zach, you have a, you have a very excited, exciting need to know for you. I think that and for you that you will be at. That's going to be awesome. Um, and, and what's that? 
Yes. So <laughs> I, it, it's super exciting. I am yeah. a little bummed. Or, oh, I'm not a little. I'm a very, very bummed that you're not going to be able to attend. But uh, yeah, in a little over a week, I will be headed to the Las Vegas Star Trek convention uh, with my buddy Ray, who went last year with us. And uh, looking forward to going back again this year. They've got an amazing lineup. Uh, they're going to have five members of the Strange New Worlds cast, uh, speaking of, to include Rebecca Romaine, who played number one, Anson Mount, who played Captain Pike. Uh, we've got uh, Cecilia, can't remember the rest of her name, um, she, who played uh, Cadet Uhura. And we've also got Jess Bush, who's playing Nurse Chapel, which I know we'll get into Nurse Chapel in a little while, because I know you like her. Um, and uh, who else? Is that it? That's uh, four, right? Uh, we have. Um, did you did you mention the actor that plays Spock? Oh yeah, duh. Yeah, obviously Ethan Peck, who plays yes. Spock, will be there. Yeah, so it's gonna be great. This, okay, you have to. I have to apologize, guys. I'm getting old. My brain doesn't work all the time. All right, you know it's, it. It just happens. So, <laughs> but that being said, yeah, it's gonna be a blast. Looking forward to it. Um, I know Chris, we talked about uh, maybe recording an episode um, while I'm at the convention. So we'll see if we can make the logistics work on that and kind of fill people in on what's going on there and what's happening. Uh, that'll be kind of fun. Uh, yeah. So we'll see if we're able to make that work out for our, with our schedules or not. Um, but yeah, it's going to be a blast. I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, a great lineup of people. Um, for the first time, I think ever since they've been in Vegas, it's going to be right on the strip. It's going to be at Bally's Hotel in the Bally's Convention Center. Uh, and they've got a beautiful area there at Bally's, uh, recently renovated, beautiful convention area. So I'm looking forward to a new setting because it hasn't been new since they moved to the Rio back in like, I think it was 2010, 2011, somewhere, 2012, maybe. Um, and they met the Rio and it was time to move from the Rio. The Rio, the Rio was getting old and run down and there was, they didn't offer a lot. It was off the strip. And I think the, that Bally's is going to be a really fantastic show. So I, I am, I am. Legit, I do legitimately say this, Chris. I'm not being sarcastic. I am legitimately sad that you are not going to be able to go this year. But we've already yeah. talked about planning to make sure you go next year. Yeah, we are planning for next year. I just had, like, as the, uh, for the audience, I just had some schedule conflicts this year where I could not make it. But I will do everything we can so that I am there next next year. And I'm so excited for you, Zach, to be there. I, I know that the Bally's is a really nice location. Yeah. I've been, been there quite a bit so it's gonna be great it's gonna be great man yeah and you know maybe next year depending on where things are at maybe next year we'll even have a table in the deal room for our podcast who knows we'll see yeah that would be awesome yeah it'd be great it'd be awesome have you guys come by and stop by by the way if you are at the las vegas star trek convention this year be sure to be on the lookout for me wearing our random red shirt podcast t-shirt and if you see me stop by say hi let me know if you've listened to the podcast if you like it or not and be sure to get a business card thank you to chris for getting those made we have business cards now and i'll be handing those out to folks who are interested either in listening to the podcast for the first time or uh, who have heard about it before and want to pass it along to one of their friends. Nice, nice. Yeah, so Chris, what's the next thing our audience needs to know this week? I think we should know that if you haven't already seen these brand new images from the James Webb Telescope, they are out, and they are spectacular. They are beautiful. Um, James Webb started, uh, I think, being able to transmit images mid-July, uh, so there's a handful of images that that are around and available for the public to see. Um, and they are incredible. And um, the James Webb telescope is, I, I believe it lies between uh, the, the moon and the earth. So it's at, it's at a certain point in the orbit between the moon and the earth to, uh, 
I think our furthest telescope that is out there uh, to be able to show us some great stuff. So if you love space, if you love like astronomy, this is please check it out because it's really an incredible achievement. Yep. Yeah, I was reading this. It's something like a million miles from the Earth or something like that. And it's at some place. It's at something called what they call a Lagrange point. A Lagrange point is like an area of space. And there are some areas where uh, gravity is somewhat neutral, where there's not a significant gra gravitational pull from a star or a, a moon or, an, or a, a planetoid uh, body. And it can it can sit there in that spot uh, without having to constantly use fuel to keep itself for station keeping. Yes. Um, so it's, I'm telling you, you're right. The, the images are absolutely spectacular. And if you haven't seen it, you can go to nasa.gov, I believe it is, um, yep. to check out the images because they really are fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. They're awesome. Yeah. So Zach, what's our next need to know? All right. Our next need to know is our buddy, Sean Cannon, who we've had on the podcast, and if you haven't listened to his interview, be sure to go listen to it. Yes, he was a little sick when we recorded, so he sounds a little bit different in that. But uh, go listen to that episode, uh, our interview with him, my backup in, I believe, was season one of our podcast. But he officially announced on Instagram that he is back as Mike Barnes. He's going to be returning in Cobra Kai season five to play this iconic Karate Kid character. Uh, for the first time since he did in the in the Karate Kid three movie, we were so excited. I reached out to him uh, last week and and just told him how excited I was and how happy for him I was, and um, just can't wait. And we look forward to talking about Cobra Kai in a future episode and having him back on to talk about um, about Karate Kid and uh, uh, re returning as Mike Barnes in Cobra Kai. So we cannot wait for that. Man, I love that he is back. That's going to be so much fun. Boy, it's it's just that season's just it's going to be exciting. There's going to be so much excitement, so much uh, <laughs> great conflict and drama in there. I'm sure. Um, yeah, unbelievable that he's there. So yeah, so and my question, Chris, will be: Is Mike Barnes going to try to fight Daniel? Is he going to try to fight Johnny? Is Chosen going to try to fight Terry Silver? Or or you yeah. know, I mean, there's so many possibilities. I've heard several actors. Um, say that season five is incredible. Uh, Sean is mentioned as well. It's going to be epic. Uh, I, th I think it was uh, Billy Zapka or William Zapka who played um, Johnny Lawrence who came out and said that season five is his favorite season of Cobra Kai so far. Nice. And it comes out next month in September. Like, we don't have to wait till December or January. It comes out next month. We are less than a month away, I believe, or pretty close to a month away from it premiering. So it's going to be epic. I cannot wait to watch season five. This show just gets better with every season. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, okay, Chris, what's the last thing our audience needs to know this week as of August 13th, 2022? Last thing our audience needs to know is that I'm aware that they, we've got a new Predator movie, new Predator movie on Hulu, I believe, called Prey. Um, so we've, you know, we've talked a little bit about aliens, a little bit about Predator here and there in the show. So um, uh, Zach and I, you know, we are both, fans of course of aliens and the predator franchises so this new one is out i have not seen it yet but um you know i'll try and check it out in the in the near future and our our listeners can do the same and uh, you know then this this could we may want to talk about this this uh, movie as one of our episodes in the near future this prey movie so we'll see i think it takes place in the past so um, that's something interesting about it so check it out yeah, I was going to ask you, Chris, because I think I saw the trailer once or, the, or a teaser trailer or something like that. Is it an 
origin story of the Predator, or is it just something like another movie in the movie line, but it's not like current time period? I, I don't think it's an origin st story. I think it's just like you said, it's not it's not present day. I think it is in um, uh, back with uh, the Native Americans. Uh, so I think it takes place in, in that time period. So that's that's about what I know. So it'll be certainly interesting to kind of see. Um, so there's no modern modern weapons that they're able to use. So we'll see, you know, what happens with the predator. I mean, I mean, I think the predator is kind of cheating if he's got if he can use like all all of his, you know, laser weapons and beam weapons and all all of that against people that don't have it. So we'll see. There we go. Yeah, that'll be interesting. I, I don't – I'm trying to think, Chris, of all the Predator movies that have been made. I don't think they've ever done an Origins movie. You know, like you had with Aliens, they've kind of done some semi-prequel origin-type movies with, I think, it was it Alien Alien Requiem or something like that? Yeah. yeah. But yeah. I don't think they've done that for Predator. I'm kind of surprised they have not done a, like, a Predator, um, like, origin story. Yeah, you're right. That will be an interesting one. Maybe we'll get that in the future. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. Who knows? Yeah. All right. Well, that's our need to know for this week. As of August 13th, 2022, we're now going to jump in to Star Trek Strange New World Season 1. Now, for those of you who have not watched Season 1 or have not finished it, you may want to tune this off right now because we're going to have some spoilers as well as our interview with Bruce will have some spoilers in it. So just so you're aware, if you don't mind being spoiled, then please continue. If you do, then I recommend you pause here and come back to it this episode once you have uh, completed Season 1 of Star Trek Strange New Worlds. But that being said, Chris... I mean, we'll get into our our combat rating at the end of the uh, uh, at the end of this uh, segment. But mm -hmm. overall, just give me like a, a, a summation real quick of your overall thoughts and feelings um, for season one. Are over are so overwhelmingly positive, and I, I don't think my my words cannot express like how I my emotions good enough about how I feel about that. So I just it it was just I felt great about all, all of the characters, you know, loved the characters loved that the, that the show is, you know, for the, for the most part, the, the stories and the episodes are separate from each other, which I think just gives you endless possibility in, in the different stories you can tell, which was, which was wonderful. I also felt that there was joy. There's just this tremendous joy of, of being in Star Trek and, joy of exploration uh joy of encountering the unknown and discovery so those yeah that's my my just i'm so overwhelmingly positive i'm thankful i think this is just a great great star trek show for us to have um and it just brings like a, joy, a smile to my face and joy I like every every time i watch it you know from i remember watching like season one uh like i think i think you watch season excuse me episode one uh, I think you watched episode one a little bit before I did. You said, hey, Chris, you got you to gotta check it out. You got to check it out. And I did. And I was just like, wow, this is just great. Just terrific. Just terrific. Um, so so some of my over my overarching thoughts is just, you know, please go see it. I think this is just a wonderful Star Trek series for us to see. Yeah, yeah I, I, I would agree with you. If I could sum up in one phrase, my feelings of this show. And I've said this before, Chris, and I'm probably going to say it again. And people are going to get probably roll their eyes. The amount of times I say this phrase, but 
I believe truly that Star Trek Strange New Worlds is the show that modern Star Trek needed. Because it's kind of like what you said. This show, at the heart of it, is Star Trek. This show harkens back to what makes Star Trek great, what made the original series great and so popular and, and began this, this iconic uh, science fiction franchise. Um, and, and like you said, it, you know, you, you feel, you know, basically for the most part, you feel positive, you know, it, it's episodes are standalone episodes. It's not this continually running streaming show. Like basically everything is nowadays they're standalone episodes. So if you watched episode three before episode two, you're probably not going to, you know, be like, Oh my gosh, I don't know what's going on because they're standalones. And they made it that way to, to, uh, harken back to, the original series, because the original series was in that era of a new adventure every week. Yes. That wagon train to the stars kind of thing. And so the, I, I agree 100% with everything you said, Chris. Um, this show, it, it really hits you. If you are a classic Star Trek fan, and I'll s remind folks again what I mean by that. Classic Star Trek meaning the original series through Enterprise. The original five Star Trek shows, not counting the animated series of, of the original series. Um if you're a huge Trekkie and a big fan of that, you're going to love this series, hands down. Yes, there are some things in this series that are that are contrary to some of the timeline of things, but it's not a blasphemous, oh my gosh, it's, it's not another JJ-verse, you know, Kelvin timeline movie type, just annihilation of the timeline or anything like that. There mm -hmm. are some things there, but get past that and and watch the show for what it is and you're gonna love it it really is just that good uh so you know season one's complete for those of you who haven't seen it yet all uh, 10 episodes are out on paramount plus season two has already been filmed from what i understand they wrapped that up and um you know if 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 you want to watch strange new worlds there are some recommendations out there from websites like StarTrek.com as well as Paramount Plus uh, that would refer you to original series episodes and some episodes of Star Trek Discovery and things. Are there some specific episodes, Chris, that uh, you think maybe if people haven't watched this series, they should go out and watch just to kind of get some more background info? Yeah, I think I think a a series a, an episode from the original series to definitely watch um and I, I apologize i'm gonna forget i'm gonna forget the title um so is is the the one where the enterprise faces off against uh the romulans um so this is oh yeah that's balance of terror thank you thank you yeah yep. so i think i think people if you haven't seen it if you haven't seen that original series episode i think it's it's important to watch it um, to see the pacing of Balance of Terror, to see how the the characters are presented, how the how the characters are are visually presented in terms of how the framing is is done for each of them, um, and see the different, particularly for Captain Kirk, see the different things that he is internally struggling with. Um, so I think that that gives you know what watch that watch that that that'll be a great because that's going to come in. Uh, definitely handy when you watch um, the episode of strange new worlds that is related to it um so and another one i can think of that helps helps give some context is 
for your a little background, a little bit background for your your favorite character on the show, um, and watch Space Seed uh, because then Space Seed gives you a little bit of um, background or gives you background on Khan, uh, one of the greatest villains in in Star Trek. So you'll get to see a little bit about about Khan, and then when Zach talks about his favorite character, he'll be able he'll be able to connect it. Um, connect that back to con too. So those are a couple that come to my mind um, to prepare, you know, um, viewers if you haven't watched Strange New Worlds before. But how about how about you? Any any original series episodes that you would recommend folks for watching? Yeah. So I was looking that up, and um, definitely the original series episode, The Cage. Now that was the mm -hmm. very first pilot episode that was put out in 1966 with Jeffrey Hunter as Captain Pike uh, before it was canned, and then they made another pilot, I think it was a year later, with William Shatner as Captain Kirk, obviously. But The Cage is definitely one to watch um, because you, you learn, you know, you, you see a, a, the character number one, who is not, I believe, in the second pilot and on, right? You see um, Majel Barrett play number one, and then she becomes Nurse Chapel in the, in the second pilot and then the rest of the original series. Uh, so the cage is definitely one you learn about a little about Captain Pike. Um, you learn about the original Enterprise crew, although in Strange New Worlds, there are new characters that are not in the original series, which is completely fine, obviously. So that's a good one. Uh, Paramount Plus would does have a couple recommendations in order to get to know some of the newer versions of the original characters as well as um, the way they're portrayed. So episodes from season two of Discovery like brother which is episode number one episode number eight if memory serves episode number 12 to the valley of shadows and then mm. episode 14 such sweet sorrow part two although you probably should just watch part one and two together um so 12 13 and 14 really uh would be recommendations from paramount plus now star trek.com listed episodes the menagerie part one and two journey to Babel, mirror mirror which is an unbelievable episode the deadly years and a private little war uh I, i'm glad you mentioned spacey chris because yes that is definitely a good episode um to watch if you haven't or you need a refresh on it to get some more background info on one of the new characters on um strange new worlds but yeah. you know we've talked about discovery a little bit just in, in kind of in passing um, and, and we talked about Star Trek Picard, uh, season one and two, um, with, with Star Trek Strange New Worlds, I found that almost right away and throughout the entire first season, I deeply care about every single character and especially main character on this show. And I don't know how you feel about that, Chris. I, I didn't find myself that way with Discovery, um, I didn't find myself that way with Picard, although there are characters I like on both and, and I, I have, you know, I care about. But Strange New Worlds, I got very quickly attached to every character and I got to the point where I'm like, you know what, I, I truly care if every single one of these characters makes it through and, and you know, they don't have an accent or somebody doesn't die. What were your, what were your feelings on the overall the cast? And by cast, I mean the characters, not necessarily the actors. Yeah, yeah, I as well. What really liked all of the characters, really did care for them. Um, I, when I think about the differences on how I feel about the characters in uh, Discovery or in Picard, I, the, the difference for me is 
Okay, in Star Trek Strange New Worlds, I, I feel that the characters are not as, um, and I, I, I don't want this to sound negative, you know, too negative about Discovery or, or Picard, but I feel that the characters in Strange New Worlds, uh, they're not as self-absorbed, uh, self you know, absorbed in all of their own kind of uh, personal dilemmas and dramas. No, they're, they're working, I feel, you know, they're, they're working like as, as a team, in my, in my opinion, they're working as a, as a team, they're, 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 they're a crew and they're happy to be on board of the, the enterprise and they're working for a common goal. Um, so that's part of my kind of feel towards caring about these characters and caring uh, like that, that, that they make it, you know, that they, that they survive um, just in my opinion and how I felt about discovery and some of the characters in Picard, I felt like, okay, there's too much uh, self absorption in, in these characters that they're having and did not let me like enjoy them as much, like enjoy them as much as I would in Strange New Worlds. So hopefully, you know, what do you think? That that kind of makes sense when I was thinking about it more more for me, but that was from my my standpoint, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, absolutely. So, all right, let's, let's kind of jump in. Now, we did a episode of the podcast um, where we talked about the pilot episode of Strange New Worlds, right? So yes. I, I, we don't really need to review the first episode other than to say that, you know, the, the show as a whole starts out where Pike is on Earth and they this admiral shows up to bring him back to command the Enterprise because they need him. Um, and there's a bunch of stuff going on. And they need Captain Pike and they, they don't take no for an answer. They pretty much order him like, no, you're coming back out of your, you know, he's not in hiding. Right. But he's like he's it's almost like he's taking a, a leave of absence. And, um, you know, he's riding horses in the snow. He's got a big old friggin' beard and long hair. And uh, uh, so he comes back, and then that first episode happens. But the second episode is very interesting, called Children of the Comet. And and I got these descriptions from Memory Alpha, so not for people to get mad that I'm copyright or piracy in people's words. These are directly from Memory Alpha. And I liked the, descript the, the little brief summaries of these episodes, so that's kind of why I put them down. But Children of the Comet, it, it, you know, it mentions that while on a survey mission, the USS Enterprise discovers a comet is going to strike an inhabited planet, which, oh, by the way, that storyline has been used before in other episodes of Star Trek. Um, they try to reroute the comet only to find, now this is where it gets different, an ancient alien relic is buried on the comet's icy surface, and that's somehow stopping them. As, a, as the away team tries to unlock the relic's secrets, Pike and Number One deal with a group of zealots who want to prevent the Enterprise from interfering. And I found this episode very fascinating, Chris, because we get a chance to see a little bit more of the young cadet Uhura and the role that she plays in this episode. Yeah, yeah, you do. And she she goes down. And I think I, if I'm not mistaken, she is the one that makes the connection on how the comet is actually controlled, make, makes the connection that it's control, controlled through sound. Right. If I'm not mistaken on that. I think. Yeah, that, no, you're right. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. And. Uh, I think she had a little bit of self-doubt too in, in that episode, but then, you know, when she goes down, like she's the one that really is the one that makes the breakthrough for, for the crew. So that, that, that was awesome. This episode, you know, is definitely, um, you know, similarities to other Star Trek episodes, but really felt like, really felt like Star Trek to me um, where, where they've got this, this standalone comet phenomenon that's hap that's happening. That's going to cause havoc on another planet. Plus, Plus, parallel to that, you've got 
these zealots and and raising that kind of worship this comet and raising these other kind of theological questions that that they have from the perspective of their civilization so <laughs> interesting interesting episode i'm glad i'm glad this was one of the episodes of strange new worlds yeah it was a very good episode um i really liked the way that they kind of put uhura front and center you know because here she is this cadet she's she's lacking in some confidence right early in the show and uh, pike sees a lot in her right he sees he sees the um the potential in her and you know she's going on this away mission which correct me if i'm wrong this was her first away mission I since she came on board the enterprise i think yes yeah I believe so. uh and so they go on to the comet and she, like, you're right. They, she discovers this idea that it's controlled with sound and everything, and she begins to sing, and you get to see that. And that's a harken back to the original series when Uhura is singing in in the in the mess hall with um, uh, Spock playing the Vulcan, um, the lute. Yeah, the yeah the Vulcan. Uh, it's yeah, it's like the equivalent of that. Uh, the Vulcan lute, or um, oh, geez, what uh, the Vulcan harp, or something like that. He's playing that Vulcan musical instrument. I can't remember the name, but off the top of my head, I think you might be right, though, Chris. Um, and so that's kind of a, a, a neat thing. But yeah, you, you start watching this episode, and you're like, okay, another comet's going to crash into an inhabited planet episode. Great, we've seen this before, right? There's several iterations of that throughout the Star Trek franchise, but they take a turn. And I think, you know, I don't think we can give enough credit, Chris, to the writers of this show because every time you think you've got the episode figured out, they they twists and they turn something and you don't see it coming and that's a true testament to the writing yeah for sure it is they the do. writers in this and, and the writers have been so great to not only make this series its own but to honor so well the other star trek series that we know especially the original series and enterprise but all of them especially they keep it fresh that's got to be in and that's got to be a you know a challenging thing for them to do and and you know, our definitely our gratitude for them to be able to do that, but to, to keep it fresh, uh, to, to honor everything that's come before it, um, and contributed to it and to keep us engaged in, in interesting and bring us fresh new ideas. Yeah, I, I would agree with you hundred percent on that one. Um, I, I, I would, I would say it would be a challenge, not only a challenge to make, I think making the new stuff wouldn't be as challenging, but I would think making new stuff while trying to also, honor the original series especially and at every turn which is what they've done honestly i think would be the greatest challenge of the two yeah and trying to interweave you know weave that in i, I think would be would be definitely a challenge so that was a great episode episode three ghosts of illyria i think's how you say it that's when the enterprise encounters a contagion that ravages the ship and one by one the entire crew is incapacitated except for one mm -hmm. number one uh, who now must confront a secret she's been hiding um, as uh, as she races to find a cure. Now, Chris, that that secret that she's hiding was definitely um, unexpected. I, I did not see that coming. Um, do you remember what that secret was? Because it was it was a pretty significant one moving forward in the show. Yeah, she's actually not human. Like she is. I might get, I might pronounce it wrong. I apologize. Illyrian. Um, and as far as we know, the only Illyrian to be part, part of Starfleet, but she hasn't disclosed that uh, to, to anyone. And so that, that was a big secret. And 
that opens up like this whole other possible uh, backstory for number one. Right? Like, how did she, how did she come to where she is now? How did she keep that a secret this whole whole time? Um, and and honestly, this this whole other backstory that's possible for the Allurians. Um, so that I don't think that was ever in in the episode where Michelle Barrett played number one. I don't think that was ever alluded to. Um, so no, this- I think you're right, Chris. I, I think, uh, I mean, for all intents and purposes, I don't think there was anything to denote that number one wasn't a human. I think, um, I think you're right on that. So that's definitely a new twist for this show. And that's kind of what I mean, right? Where they take a character that while number one wasn't established, cause it only, she only got one episode, right? That pilot mm-hmm. episode, the cage, but you take a character who we know, sort of, because it's only one episode, and then you you put a new look to it and a new story to it. And I thought it was very interesting. And, you know, the idea that she has some type of genetic modification, which we've known for a long time, is not allowed in the Federation. Mm-hmm. Um, they banned that uh, after the eugenics wars with because of Khan and the fact that his Superman rose to power. And tried to rule the Earth, and then they got they got defeated, and they got sent off on the uh, the sleeper ship, you know, in their form of prison. Um, so the fact that she has these genet this genetic, you know, this genetic manipulation is a big deal because this could bring an entire focus on whether or not she should be allowed to serve in Starfleet, just like what what uh, you know Doctor Bashir goes through on DS Nine. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, that's going to be kind of cool to see what, what, where they go with it. And not to jump ahead too far, but in spoilers on the final episode, but but I think season two seems like we're going to get into that, right? So so that'll be kind of um, kind of getting into seeing where she, where number is number one is right now, and how because she's in trouble, and how and if we can get her out of that trouble. Yeah, I'm guessing that she gets taken off to some type of Federation prison or to some star base where she's be she's going to await sentencing or something. That's going to be kind of my guess as to where she's going to be at when they pick up season two. But we'll we'll find out, obviously, um, with the way these how good these writers have been. I mean, anything's fair game, honestly. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So, Chris, we move into um, uh, episode four, Memento Mori. Now, this. Um, I really like this episode, and the reason I really like this episode is because we get we get our first dive into my favorite character outside of Captain Pike in this series, and that is we get some a, a dive into some of the background of Leon, who is my favorite character in the show. Yeah. Um, in this episode, the Enterprise is on a routine supply mission to a colony planet, which is Pretty standard in Star Trek, right? They're running supply routes and things like that. Um, and they come under an attack from an unknown malevolent force. And so Pike brings all his heart and experience, again, I'm reading from Memory Alpha, to bear in the, uh, to bear in the face of, of the crisis. But the security officer, oh, by the way, Leon, <laughs> warns him that the enemy cannot be dealt with by con- conventional Starfleet means because this is our introduction in Strange New Worlds to the ever fantastic and iconic Star Trek villain, the Gorn. Gorn. Now, 
I believe we do not actually see the Gorn in this episode. They don't show them. Correct. We see their ships. We see them attacking, but we do not actually see the Gorn yet in the series. So what did you think of this one, Chris? This had a little bit of a, a, a little bit of a, um, at times, a, a little bit of a horror feel to it. But I really like this because, again, this is, more, this is, again, a blend of the new while bringing in some stuff from the original series. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this, this was great. I love that you do not see the Gorn when it's been realized that it is the Gorn. Also, this episode starts off as kind of a, it starts off as a mystery because you don't know what's what's happening. Um, you just know that, hey, there's there's some malevolent uh, entity, malevolent force that that is doing the attacks. Uh, so so a lot of great things there. And the um, when, when they do explore Leon, you know, it's great because she really takes like control and and takes charge and is, I think, responsible for probably responsible for saving the ship at that point because she she once she kind of understands what's going on you know she takes immediate action uh for her recommendation then then they really the whole crew really has to draw upon like all all other skills to kind of out out maneuver the gorn ships as it as it's like attacking them and so one of the really i think uh cool things that they did i have not seen something like this done done um on other series, but they do some, some really cool maneuvers around the black hole. Um, they do this, these, I think a deep dive into a, a gas planet to, to try and um, avoid like visual detection from the, the Gorn ships. Um, and so that, that was, that was cool seeing this kind of the starship battle really between the Gorn and the enterprise and, and seeing how the enterprise could, uh, kind of outmaneuver the Gorn ship. So that this was an awesome episode and, and a great one for the, for the introduction of the Gorn. And I'm, I'm glad they didn't show the Gorn. Um, and then the back of my mind, like, like I was joking around with you before Zach, I was like, yeah, it would be funny if the, if the Gorn looked the same from toss the original series and I, and they were guys in big, big rubber suits. That day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that would look pretty funny. Although people would be like, what the heck? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that would have to be like some kind of, you know, Maybe they film some little thing like that as a as a gag joke and then release it like on April Fool or something. That'd be kind of funny. Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, it was a good episode. Um, it for for those of us like me who, besides the amazing stories that are told, they like the action and the adventure and the fun and the the you know the shooting up and everything in space and the and the ship battles. This is this is an episode for you for sure. Mm-hmm. Then we get into episode five, Spock Amok. It's a Comedy of manners when Spock has a personal visit in the middle of Spock and Captain Pike's crucial negotiations with an unusual alien species. And this is where Spock and his fiance, I believe, Chris, to Pring, switch bodies. Yes. And now he has to go down to the surface uh, as her to do a negotiation. And she's got to be on up on the ship doing a negotiation. And they... It's great because for their relationship, they begin to see what the other one deals with from their position and job and and what it's like to be in that role. And it kind of gives them more of an appreciation for each other. And it actually only deepens their relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And this I think this is this this is the one where in Spock's dream, he's back on planet Vulcan and we we hearken back to that original uh, toss music and he has to. Uh, undergo a challenge at his wedding ceremony 
so i that was hilarious when i saw that i was like oh that's so cool that they're that they're doing that um yeah chris you can, can, can you sing the song for us dun 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 yes yes exactly <laughs> i mean if you're a trek fan as soon as you hear that song you know exactly what it is right it's the original series uh, you know, called a mock time, right? Where they're Kirk and Spock are battling it out to the deaths, quote unquote. Um, yeah, that's oh, it's <laughs> it's so great. As soon as that music comes on, it's like instant feelers from the original series. Yeah, that music brings joy to me. <laughs> so so awesome. Yeah, this was a fun episode, right? This was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was it was a little bit of a lighthearted take on Vulcan logic and and um, Vulcan relationships, but not to the point where the comedy was was out of place. I think it was very well balanced in that regard. Um, yeah. it, 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 it paints a nice spotlight on Spock and to bring, and it, it was enjoyable, very much enjoyable. Um, very much liked it. Now the next episode, episode six, which is called left lift us where suffering cannot reach. And we just had this conversation a while ago, Chris, about how even the names of these episodes sound like the names that would have been, had they been in the original series. Mm-hmm. Um, this is another example. Lift us where suffering cannot reach. And this is where a threat to an ideal, uh, idyllic planet reunites Captain Pike with a long-lost love. To protect her and a scientific holy child from a conspiracy, Pike offers his help and is forced to face unresolved feelings of his past. Now, of all the episodes this season, Chris, I would say this was one of the hardest ones as a parent to watch. Yeah. Because, you know, you have this doctor who comes on board the Enterprise. He, oh, by the way, just happens to randomly mention, oh, yeah, I can, I can cure your daughter, Dr. Mbanga. She has this thing. I, I, I know how to cure her, but he won't give her the cure because they're not allowed to give that information to off-worlders, right? And then you learn that, um, you know, uh, uh, that there is this child involved in this planet and I don't know what, what did you think over all this episode and how did it make you feel as a whole? I, this, this episode over, overall, um, made me feel sad, sad at the end, but the episode is excellent in terms that it brings forth these ideas that, yeah, you have this I, ideal advanced society, um, that looks from the outside that looks perfect almost. Right. And, but things are never that way. And, and you, as you start kind of unraveling the layers and getting deeper and closer, you see that there's, there's problems within the kind of constructs of the, the society where they don't all agree. So you've got, got, got several factions in there that don't agree with the government. Plus the mechanism, um, you know, the, the human, the child, that mechanism that they're using to kind of maintain uh, uh, the, the status of the society and maintain, um, you know, the survival of the society. You know, they're using um, children. They're using children to do that. Um, so it does make you feel kind of sad, but I think as part of what Star Trek is, it poses these really interesting questions that, you know, not everything that appears idyllic and beautiful on the outside, um, once you peel away the layers and you just, you try and understand what is actually happening. Not everything is what it seems for sure. So. Yeah. My initial 
gut feeling when this episode was over? First of all, Chris, we talk a lot about the happiness and the feeling of this uh, of, of Strange New Worlds. Yeah. This is the one episode that left a bitter taste in my mouth when it was over. Mm. This is the one episode where I did not feel positive and, and happy once the episode was over. Mm-hmm. Um, my initial feeling when the episode ended, though, was this thought that everything has a price. Mm-hmm. And in this case, this sort of like you mentioned this sort of utopian world right where everything was great and they had they had incredibly advanced technology incredibly advanced medicine stuff that far surpassed actually federation technology from what it seemed like or at least the that's the way they portrayed it and yet there was a cost to paradise there was that paradise had a cost and it cost a child's life and you originally think this doctor is kidnapping his kid or whatever, and you find out it's his kid, then you realize everything he was doing was to save his kid because his kid had been chosen as the next kid in line to hook up to this machine and drain him of his life in order to make their city float. Yeah. And so that was really, as a parent, that was really hard to watch because what would happen if I was living in that society and my kid had been chosen to sacrifice themselves for the betterment of society? I couldn't do that. I'd fight like, I'd fight to the death to keep that from happening. Yeah. So this was a hard episode for me to watch because um, it dealt with, I, I feel like, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, Chris, I don't know this is how you felt. It kind of had this idea, theme of like forced child labor, slave labor, uh, child uh, abuse, like those types of things as undertones to what was going on in the episode. Mm, a little bit, a little bit for sure. Um, definitely the destruction of, of innocence, right? And um, And those kinds of, those kinds of feelings and, and ignoring, like ignoring the suffering um, when, when people don't want to deal with it because that suffering helps, uh, you know, helps advance the civilization. Interesting. Yeah, it was a real, it was, it was a, it was an episode that really challenges you in your thinking, which is really the, at the heart of Star Trek, right? It's challenging these concepts and ideas that are hard to talk about, they're hard to deal with, but they bring it to the surface in order to make you think, what would you do? Or how do you feel about this? Or how would you make things better? And that's really, a lot of that is at the heart of what Star Trek's always been about. And that's really what makes this show so fantastic. Yep. Um, Okay, next we get into an episode called The Serene uh, Squall. And this, in this episode, um, the U.S. Enterprise is on this dangerous humanitarian mission. They stumble into a harrowing game of leverage with the Quadrant's deadliest space pirate. Now, this one, to me, it was okay. I felt like the space pirate was a little bit too kind of laissez-faire, like lackadaisical, trying to be comedic. Mm-hmm. I wasn't really a fan of that. But this is where you see Spock have to go against his Vulcan, you know, upbringing and, and in a sense lie by acting as though he has feelings for Nurse Chapel and kiss her and everything in front of front of T'Pring in order to fool the pirates into thinking that him and T'Pring don't have a relationship. Yeah. It was a very interesting scene. I don't know. What, what did you think when you saw that? Were you thinking to yourself, this must be eating away at Spock? Or did you did you see in that scene after they kissed that there might actually be a little spark of something between him and Nurse Chapel. Yeah, I interpreted it as um, there might be some some interest between Chapel. That's how I interpreted the scene. 
Um, and just from, uh, you know, connecting it back to the original series, I think Nurse Chapel and and Mr. Spock, there was a connection and interest between them to it at that point. So that's how I took it. I, I really liked the, the interactions between Nurse Chapel and Spock, uh, all the interactions that they had in, in this episode, because it always seems like Nurse, Nurse Chapel is giving Spock relationship advice. And, and, and he's not only that, he's going to her for like relationship advice. So I, I like that they set, set that up uh, in the show a, a lot. And so I like what they did. Yeah, and there's a little bit of a history with Nurse Chapel and Spock. So I think that's, that, that was very interesting. Okay, the next episode, episode number eight, The Elysian Kingdom. This is where a lot of people I've talked to who have watched the series all the way through, this is the one episode that they kind of listed as their clunker episode or episode that maybe was the least their least favorite or one they just didn't like or whatever. It, to me, this episode, I'm kind of back and forth. I, I like it in certain regards, but I also kind of don't. And really, the gist of the episode is the Enterprise becomes stuck in this nebula that's home to some alien conscience and uh, or consciousness. I said conscience, didn't I? Wow. I, I don't speak English very well, Chris. <laughs> Good. Good. Consciousness that traps the crew in a fairy tale. Basically, uh, this, this, this alien can, I guess, read... Uh, you know, read them and everything, and, and the alien uh, consciousness comes across this book that Dr. Mbenga had been reading to his daughter about this Elysian kingdom thing. And so the, the whole crew kind of be, is beginning to, um, they begin to, uh, you know, um, what's yeah, they, the word I'm looking They, huh? they transform into the characters from... from yeah, they become the characters. Or, they're, yeah. they're, 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 they're not themselves, and um, so they don't really know what's going on. The only two that seem to know what's going on is Hemmer and Dr. Mbenga. Yes. Everybody else seems to be in some sort of a trance, you know, like they don't know, they, they don't realize who they really are and they're acting out this whole book basically as it happens. So it's a little bit of a lighthearted episode. I mean, Star Trek's always had these, especially, especially you think in like the next generation with the, like the Cupid episode where they're doing like Robin Hood and things like that. Um, so it may be an episode that over time grows on people. Um, but I would say this is probably my least favorite episode of season one. Yeah. Yeah. I understand. I have you. I, I thought, this... and I know how much you love the ending of this episode as much as I love it. <laughs> I know. I know. I, this... That's sarcasm for you listening. We don't like the end of this episode. Yeah. And this episode, it, it was, um, it was so sweet. It was super sweet and, and fun. And you got to, have the characters play different parts from the storybook that the doctor was reading. So I was like, Oh, that's great. And I enjoyed everything about it. And until the end, you know, the, the resolution with the daughter was okay. Then, then she, she goes out and she lives with the nebula and then, and stays there. And I'm thinking, Oh, well, all right. I, okay. I made me, made me really sad. I was like, well, they didn't have to do that. Would have could have could have been a lot, a lot better. We didn't. I didn't mind having the daughter as part of the show at all. So, um, just sweet in that. That ending was like I felt, I felt pretty sad, pretty kind of deflated after that. Yeah. Here, here's my feeling for the end of the episode. Boo. <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll get to my boo as to why uh, towards the end of the episode here or the end of the segment. I mean, um, so let's move on, Chris. The last two episodes of, of season one, we had all those who wander where the Enterprise comes face-to-face -face with their demons and scary monsters to when their landing party is stranded on a barren planet with a ravenous enemy. And we both know who that ravenous enemy is, right? 
Right. Gorn. The Gorn. We actually get to see for the first time ever in Star Trek, because they don't show it in the original series, is we get to see young hatchlings of the Gorn as well as, um, you know, or younglings, whatever you want to call them, when they, when they, as they develop a little bit, because they grow very, very quickly, like within hours, they, they, they're, they get big. Um, and this episode, Chris, for me, very much had like an aliens versus predator feel to it. And I'll be curious to see what Bruce, how Bruce feels about this episode when we, we talk to him. Uh, but this episode very much had that aliens and alien versus predator type feel to it. Oh, yeah. It definitely, def- definitely did. Um, a lot of horror to it. Good action in it, too. And, uh, um, yeah, it was g- great to see the dis- how the different characters reacted to the pressure in that episode, right? We got to see these, these great uh, moments from Captain Pike being very, very calm. Um, you got to see these, um, I think there's, you got to learn a lot more about Uhura, which was great. Learn so much more about Hemmer, which was great. Um, so this was a, this was a super one. It felt like a movie felt like a full, full featured movie. A lot of yeah, this, this yeah. could have been like a Star Trek feature film. Yeah. It was so well done. You're right, Chris. I, I'm glad you mentioned the horror part because it very much had that feel like a, that creepy, you know, they're on this, they're on this, um, there's another, I believe it's another Consta, uh, Constitution class ship, right? That's crashed. Yes. That they go on and they're looking for survivors and stuff. And of course, they come across um, this alien and he dies. And then the little Gorn babies pop out of him like chest bursters and aliens. Oh. And um, they run around the ship and they're trying to find him. And uh, it, it, oh man, it was dark. It was creepy. It was, it, yeah, if you're into those kind of movies and shows, this episode is right up your alley. So, so Zach, if you if you recall in this episode, um, the, if you maybe see if you thought the same thing I did at the beginning of this episode, I think there was a, a crew member that was newly promoted to lieutenant or or a, a, or a higher rank. And it was we hadn't seen that crew member before. And so when I saw him uh, in this episode and he was newly promoted, I was thinking, huh. And, I, and then he was part of the away party. I was like, oh, I wonder what's going to happen to him. So. Even though he was not wearing, I don't think he was wearing a red shirt. Um, I was thinking, okay, I think something's going to happen to him. Yeah, he was. He was the proverbial red shirt, right? Like <laughs> you hate to say he was the throwaway crew member on the away team, but we all know in Star Trek there's typically a throwaway crew member on a lot of away missions. Yeah. So that didn't surprise. And you're right. I don't remember if he's wearing a red shirt or not. But if he was, obviously that makes sense. If he wasn't, then. You know, it doesn't always have to be a red shirt who dies, but typically it's the red shirt who dies, or or a red shirt, anyways. Okay. Um, but yeah, this this episode and probably the season finale, I think, were my two favorite episodes of season one. Mm-hmm. Um, this episode, man, was it good? Oh, you're right. I'm glad you said that. It could absolutely have been like a feature film had they made it that length. Um, so then finally, Chris, we get into uh, wrap up season one with a quality of mercy. And this is just as Captain Pike thinks he figured out how to escape his fate, which we which we learned about early on in this show. He's visited, and and we also learned that actually earlier than that in Star Trek Discovery season two, which is why we listed those episodes to go watch ahead of time. He is visited by his future self, who shows him the consequences of his actions. Now, what I really loved about this is when you see his future self mm-hmm. is the uniform that he's wearing. Yes. It's the monster maroon. I mean, it's a, it's a slight tweak to it, but it's the monster maroon. Like, how cool was that to see Pike in a monster maroon uniform? Yes. Yeah, I loved that as well. Now, 
This episode, and we'll talk to Bruce about this here in just a bit after our break, but this episode was tough because, and again, we've already given you guys the warning about spoilers. In this episode, we see Hemmer sacrifice himself for the crew. And I'll be curious to see how Bruce felt when he found this out and, and the way in which Hammer was going to die, what his feelings were. But um, th- this was tough because we lose Hammer, and Hammer is a fan favorite. Like, he quickly became a fan favorite. And we love Hammer. He's one of my favorite characters in the show, for sure. Wait, um, are, you, are you talking about the episode um, with the Gorn where, where Hammer... Oh no! I'm sorry. That was the the previous episode, wasn't it? Yeah, but still, You're right? I'm yeah. sorry. Disregard. Yeah, you disregard. That was the previous episode. Yeah. So I apologize. You know, for those of you Trekkies who are going to give me grief, that's cool. Um, <laughs> yeah. Though all those who wander was probably my favorite episode from the series from the season so far. Even though that really tough ending where where um, Hammer dies. Um, and like I said, I will be curious to hear what Bruce has to say about his death scene uh, and how Hammer does die. But the idea of him being a a uh, vessel for more Gorn to hatch out, he wasn't going to have that because that's yeah. not in his uh, as an Enor. That's not in his um, repertoire, right? To, to 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 do that. And I liked the quote, Chris, that you found. Um, if, if you would permit me to read it here, yes, please. Um, when he's ta- before he dies you know he's talking to uhura remember and 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 he's a mentor to uhura and uhura's debating whether or not to return to the ship and pike and everybody wants her back and he looks at her you know and he says it's better to leave than be the one left behind oh i'm sorry this isn't when he's talking to uhura this is this is kind of his last scene he's mentioning you know about why he is going to sacrifice himself and he says it's better to leave than to be the one left behind but that's wrong you create bonds. It's a gift, of course. The people you care about are going to cause you pain. It will hurt, but the love it yields will far outweigh the sorrow. Um, yeah, it's his death scene was, was was tough, you know. And he walks out of the ship at the at the very end of the episode there, or towards the end of the episode, and um, he looks around, and he for one last time steps into the familiar cold, and he says, "Just like Andoria." He says as he turns, then steps backwards off the edge and down into the chasm where he dies. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a tough scene, man. It was a tough scene. What did you What did you think about before we talk about the last episode? What do you think about Hammer's death and, and the way that all went down? Yeah, uh, when I think about that, I think it was definitely fitting in Hammer's character. Um, you know, Hammer has a certain presence and and wisdom. I think that he that he carried and that he brought. Um, and then, like you said, he's also a species where they are pacifists. Uh, so he's very strong um, in his convictions. So I thought that all flowed according to like, who Hammer was, who his character was. Um, a heroic and, and noble death, you know, really, really heartfelt to you. Um, hard, hard to watch, but I think it was all, uh, true and beautiful to his character. We're sorry that Hammer is 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 gone. We could have definitely uh, used a lot more of of Hammer because he's so, certainly like a, a fascinating one, and you you could really see him as like a as a staple and as a mentor for much of the crew. 
Yeah, and uh, Davy Perez, who who was one of the writers of the series, in an interview mentions that um, that that Hammer will return to Star Trek. Oh, or oh, Bruce will turn will return to Star Trek in a different role. But and he also mentions that we we could get flashbacks of Hammer in future scenes. So. I, I'm going to take that to mean that we will see Hemmer again on screen. It just won't be because he's in the current time living. It's flashbacks to other stuff, which is still great. We That means we are gonna we are going to get more into Hemmer's past and learn more about him as a character, even if he's no longer alive. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a great way to do it, uh, or a great, great fact that we get to do uh, see him more. Um, but, yeah, it, it was tough. And then this 10th episode, the final episode where where – Pike gets a visit from his future self and he begins to learn the the fate of his decisions. You know, if he were not to die, what would happen and this or, or not to get injured and mangled, what would happen? And what would happen if these kids, if he protects all these kids and they don't die and this, that, and the other. It's a very interesting take. Um, and I'll be curious to see where we go into season two with the show. Um, but that being said, Chris, uh, let, let's talk about our favorite characters a little bit. Um, who, who's your favorite? I mean, Captain Pike aside, who is your favorite character in Strange New Worlds and why? Yeah, it was definitely Nurse Chapel. I thought she was great. She had a great personality. She was funny, which I love that. And um, and I felt a little bit of sass too. And I thought that was that was great. And then when she's when she's paired up and talking with Spock, I thought a lot of the humor came through and just really, really happy to see that. Nurse Chapel for sure for me so can't wait to see more of her um in the next season and i, I know she's going to be at the convention um so that's going to be i'm glad she's there so um yeah absolutely nurse chapel i'll yeah. bet yeah and you, yeah she's I a great character it. yeah <laughs> so my favorite character which i mentioned already is leon and uh, Leon Noonien Singh actually is her full name, uh, and her and her family are descendants of Khan Noonien Singh, the augment tyrant who once ruled a quarter of the Earth's population. Uh, that all took place during the eugenics wars. I'm a huge fan of of human history as, as in regards to Star Trek and, and how it all comes from where we're at now all the way up to, to the, the current series. And it's interesting because, you know, according to Memory Alpha here, you know, she made herself something of an expert on Khan when she was a child. But Mm -hmm. she did suffer bullying from other children, which is probably one of the reasons why she's so, like, a little rough around the edges at first. Because they found out her name and and that that name, Noonien Singh, is very well known because of what Khan did and in his augments. And so she's called augment and monster among other things. Mm. Uh, as a child, her and her family live aboard this colony ship called the SS Puget Sound. The Gorn attacks the ship and the population of this ship are captured and placed on a planet on, on a planet that's, that the Gorn use as a nursery. And we see this in an episode of Strange New Worlds, uh, a flashbacks of her as a young uh, uh, girl, right? The entire population, except her, are either eaten alive or had their bodies slit open and used as a breeding sack for young Gorn. Oh, goodness. Could you imagine, as a little kid, 
the scarring that would do to you. So she's the only survivor, and then she's sent into space on a raft as part of a ritual that the Gorn have. She's eventually rescued by the crew of the USS Martin Luther King Jr., which includes Ensign Una Chin Riley, or uh, we know as number one. And Una helps her recover from the incident and inspires her to join Starfleet. She really has an amazing past that I can't wait. By amazing, I don't mean it's great that, you know, she went through all that. But you know what I mean, for the purpose of the yeah. story, right? Uh, and everything she goes through, um, I cannot wait to see them dive more into her character. She's, st- she's strong. She is um, she's rough around the edges at first, but as the season goes on, she begins to loosen up a little bit. She's the head security officer, which is a great position for her. She's got a wealth of knowledge. She's got great tactics when it comes to, um, you know, fighting an enemy. Uh, and she's dependable. She is uh, uh, on a couple of occasions left in charge when number one and Captain Pike leave the ship. Yeah. So she's got a lot of good traits. And I am I just I, I love, love her character. And I, I'm, I'm working hard to try to get. Uh, Christina Chong or Chrissy Chong on the show with us. Hopefully that'll happen down the road. Um, but I'd love to have a time to chat with her and hear her thoughts on her character because I friggin' love Leon. I think she's a fantastic character. Huh. Oh, that'll so, be. okay, so, but, but, you know, there was a lot of stuff brought in from Toss into this series um, that you recognize from the original series. Things like Khan, the Gorn, uh, Illyr- the Illyrian, the pond far, and also we meet Captain James T. Kirk at the end of Strange New World season one. Now that brings me to the last thing here, Chris, before we rate this this the season or the series so far, and that is, what are some of our things that we didn't like about Strange New Worlds? Um, I'll let you go first. What what, what is something that you, that you say? You know, I love this show; it's so amazing. But there's something here I just didn't like. Is there anything that stands out to you? I think I had a less than you did. So, so I would say if we go back to the episode where um, they're in the nebula and everyone's transformed and the characters from the, from the book that the doctor was reading, I would say the only thing I didn't like about that episode was the ending and how his daughter was resolved. That would have, you know, I, I think it would have been totally okay if they would have found the cure for his, his daughter and she would have had some sort of relationship or been able to be on the ship. So, um, that was, yeah, I have, I have less than you. I think everything else I, I appreciated and I really, really enjoyed about the show. So that was my only thing, if you can imagine. That was my only thing. So I think you had a little bit more than I did, Zach. I'm curious on what did you have? Wait a second. Wait a second, Chris. Why are you making painting me have to be the bad guys if I have all these complaints? <laughs> no, I did have a little bit more, um, and I'm curious to get your thoughts real quick on yeah. these things, Chris. So we agree on on the ending of that episode of of the of the uh, Elysium Kingdom um, with the. And I would have liked to have seen the daughter. I would like to have seen her cured and be a part, uh, be a, a recurring character on the show, kind of like Jake Sisko and Nog on DS9. Yeah. Um. But the, the, the other two things that I wrote down were, first and foremost, um, it's, I shouldn't say it's something that I hated. It's more of something that I wanted more of, and that's not enough Leon, okay? <laughs> uh, I, I, just, I could not get enough of her character. So I, I really – that's not so much a negative thing, and I know they couldn't just spend the whole season – they couldn't just spend a whole season on, on one character, but 
I really like Leon a lot, and I hope that we get more of her in season two. Nice. Very right, nice. For those of you who heard that, my son coming in. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, the other thing, the one thing that I will say that I really did not like, and this is not a slam at the actor, Paul Wesley, I did not like the decision to bring Captain Kirk in already in the show. This <laughs> is Pike's Enterprise. This is based on the crew. And I really, really, really wish they would have left Kirk out of this until towards the very end of the show when they're about ready to wrap it up. I just – I don't know what benefits you get from bringing James T. Kirk into this series already in season one. I, it was a fear I had, and unfortunately that happened. I know they're trying to do it because, oh my gosh, Kirk. But I really wasn't a fan of the way that Kirk was portrayed in this. Um, I, I've read other people did, wasn't, weren't big fans either. Some people liked it. Some people didn't. And again, it's not a, it's not a slide of the actor. I just didn't really – it, I, I wasn't convinced that that was James T. Kirk. I, I, I just wasn't. And it's such an iconic character. You really have to be careful in balancing that because people have a perception of what that character should look like, and I just don't feel like it hit the mark for me. Yeah, I got you. I got so, you. He's, he's different. So really, Chris, I only had one, one other thing that I didn't like. The Leon thing was just I couldn't get enough. So, you know, it's not really a negative, I guess. But... Okay, so Chris, let's wrap this up uh, before we go to our break and talk to Bruce. Um, give us your rating, one to five com badges, one being the most nasty, dry, disgusting scrambled eggs you've ever had, and five being the greatest thing you've ever eaten, like hot fudge sundae that just hits a spot. On a scale of one to five com badges, what do you rate this uh, first season of, of uh, Strange New Worlds? I'm very happy to say that this was a... A very, very, very solid five for me. Yeah, five combatages for me. I'm thinking. Of, I'm thinking about whether I should already say five plus, but um, but let me um, I don't know. It might be season two or season. It might be a season beyond this one that gets a five plus. So this one, solid, solid five for me. So happy to say that. Yeah. How about you, Zach? All right. Well, on a scale of um, of Jar Jar Binks to Chief O'Brien. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have to rate this absolutely. If I could give this thing a ten out of five, I would. I I would definitely. But I, I in in our scale, I will go five out of five com badges because this show hit the mark in basically every way. Yes, I had a couple things that I I wasn't a huge fan of. We mentioned a couple things that we didn't really like, but that doesn't take away from the rating for me. I think still as a whole, I'm giving it a five out of five. This show is trek in all of its glory um yes it's got the shiny floors you know and everything else but it it feels like star trek which i think is what modern trek has been missing um and no i have not watched star trek prodigy or star trek lower decks which i know everybody says you got to watch lower decks it's amazing um but from the modern trek i've seen they really needed this show and this hits the mark in every way for me Nice. Very nice. Yeah. So, all right, Chris, you ready to talk to Bruce? Because I am. I, I cannot wait to hear what Bruce Horak has to say, learn about him some more, his, his personal life, what he's doing as an artist, as well as share some of his thoughts and feelings um, from being on uh, Strange New Worlds as Hemmer. Oh, for sure. I'm so excited about that. And we're, yeah, it's going to be awesome. We're so grateful that he's, he's um, wanted to be with us. So this is Yeah. Yeah, I, I would agree. So, 
those of you listening, stay tuned. We'll be right back after a message from our sponsor, Anchor.fm. And when we come back, you're going to hear from the man himself, Bruce Horak, a.k.a. Hammer, the chief engineer of the USS Enterprise, at least for season one. And we cannot wait to talk to him because uh, we love Hammer. We know you love Hammer. We'll be right back after these messages. Don't go anywhere. Bruce Horak coming up next. What's up, everybody? And we are back from our break. And uh, Chris, the time has finally come, man. We are getting a chance to sit down with Bruce Horick from Star Trek Strange New Worlds. And we are incredibly excited and delighted to welcome Bruce to the podcast. Now, some of you obviously know him as uh, Hemmer from Star Trek Strange New Worlds, but he's also a painter, an artist, and uh, does quite a lot of great stuff. We can't wait to talk to him. Bruce, thank you so much for joining us here on the Random Redshirt Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. So, uh, first and foremost, you know, when we, we look at Star Trek Strange New Worlds, um, what was the casting process like for you in particular? Well, it was all done over Zoom. It was right in the uh, right in the very depths of all the lockdowns and things. So I was at home and uh, set up a camera in my kitchen and did the uh, did the scene where Uhura and Hammer meet uh, a couple of times over over the old Zoom platform, and then uh, a couple of more uh, auditions over Zoom with other folks, kind of moving up the the chain of command, if you will. And uh, yeah, it was really exciting. The, the casting call went out. They were looking for a blind or visually impaired performer to play a blind alien on a new Star Trek. And that's pretty much as, as much as I knew and that he was an Enar. So I dug into some memory alpha stuff and went and rewatched the episodes of Enterprise to see what I could learn. And uh, yeah, just kind of went from there. Had no idea really what Hammer was going to look like other than an Enar, so I thought, okay, he's antenna and probably pale. <laughs> that's as much as I knew. That's that, that's, that's so great to, to hear that you you did your your research on the, the Enar and and looked it up on memory off in Enterprise. That's great. Well, I think they're, they're, the the resources that are out there are are pretty extraordinary, actually. So as an as an actor, it was uh, yeah, it's a real boon to have all of that stuff. Now, Bruce, um, when Chris and I were, you know, doing some research and, and, and putting together our notes for this episode with you, um, one of the questions that really came to my mind was, um, before you got cast as Hemmer, were you a Star Trek fan or sci-fi fan? And if so, do you, did, was that intimidating to step into a character into this vast Star Trek universe that's been established for, you know, 50, 55 plus years? Oh yeah, oh yeah. The intimidation factor is high. Uh, I grew up on Star Trek and was a and am a huge fan of this the the whole franchise. Really, I just love it. Um, and yeah, total sci-fi nerd. Uh, you know, I read the uh, I had photo novels of the original series, and I think I had like one of those uh, read-along books. You know, turn the page when you hear the phaser sound, kind of thing. <laughs> Uh, yeah, huge fan. My dad was a comic book collector and a sci-fi nerd himself. So 
we we you know went to a few comic book conventions in the basement of community halls when I was a kid and saw them uh, evolve from basement of community halls to you know full convention halls and centers and things. It's just uh, yeah, it's extraordinary to watch the expansion of that world and then just to uh, to be able to step into uh, the community that is Star Trek. I mean, right from the the moment that it was officially announced, the the messages of of support and encouragement and welcome have they've just blown me away I, i'm i'm thrilled thrilled i will say um bruce that that there has not been a person that i've met so far or talked to family or friends or otherwise who doesn't love hammer as much as we do and in fact i have several friends and family who watch Star Trek, who say Hemmer is my favorite character on Strange New World. So hopefully that brings you a bit of joy and validation because we love we love Hemmer, we loved Hemmer, and we hope that um, based on some of the interviews that we have seen and, and uh, articles we've read that it's not the last time we will probably see Hemmer, at least, you know, on the show, even though, you know, as far as timeline goes. Um, and we hope we get to see not only more of Hammer, but we hope we get to see more of you and maybe some different roles in Star Trek. Well, all I can say is that the career, uh, the Star Trek career of Bruce Horak is not over. That's as much as I am allowed to say. Uh, and yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's incredible, really, the response that, that Hammer has had. And from the very first moment, or from the very first audition, I was told that Hammer was going to be... Um, you know, he's going to be built up as a bit of a fan favorite. They wanted to, you know, build a mentor figure in for Uhura and to have him have him uh, go out in a, in a noble and heroic way. And I think that their, their goal was entirely met. And I'm absolutely thrilled that it's, it's landed the way that it has. Yeah, I, I would say that goal absolutely was met and it, it came across like beautifully. <clears throat> you know, Hammer had so much presence that I think that you brought and we, we thank you for that. And um, was there, you know, thinking about, and it's so beautiful to hear that you're a Star Trek fan and a sci-fi fan and, and you grew up with that. Um, so like in, in thinking about those things, like, and when you came to the role of Hammer, did you have inspiration that you drew upon for Hammer or did you incorporate some of your own personality or philosophies? Uh, in terms of inspiration for the figure, I tried to kind of go into uh, high status figures that I, I'm familiar with. Uh, I saw him as being very, yeah, very sure, very confident of himself um, as that kind of engineer was. If there was anyone specific, I, I, I can't think of who it would have been, but yeah, just a stiffness and a, and a physical stiffness to him that... Uh, I'm not particularly, it's not really like me at all. I'm a bit more of a, of a Gumby, if you will. Um, more Gumby than Pokey, I guess. <laughs> if we were really to, <laughs> were really to dig into some uh, tropes there. But um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's that sort of confident, arrogant uh, character that uh, is always fun to play. Uh, a stiff back and rigid shoulders and kind of move from there. There's your hammer. <laughs> <laughs> well, that I, I think it, it came across great. I, I did like, you know, hammer being uh, Enar and everything, and they're, they're not a, a, a species, I should say a subspecies of Andorian, 
compared to their counterparts, they're not ones that are about war and fighting and everything. And um, you, it definitely came across that way with Hemmer that he, you know, he had that sometimes quiet confidence. Sometimes it was not quiet, but he, but he, he, you could tell he knew his stuff. And mm. I think, I think he was a great mentor for Uhura. Cause I think Uhura to some extent had, uh, you know, some, confidence issues at first when she first came aboard because here she is this cadet right and she's on the bridge of the enterprise and she's dealing with all this and then you kind of see her kind of attached to hammer a little bit and gain some knowledge from him and, and some of the wisdom that that i know uh, chris and i really enjoyed most in strange new worlds came from hammer and his uh, ability to kind of take uhura under his wings yeah i really i really dug the uh the pacifist angle that they put, you know, the, 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 the scene where he and Uhura are trapped in the cargo bay and he talks about, you know, his, his, his uh, sort of modus operandi uh, of being a pacifist and what that actually means and how it's, it's, act, it's active. And it's, you know, as, as the engineer and, and being the one who's driving the, or the engines that move the enterprise, I think it's interesting to have a pacifist at that wheel at that helm. He, uh, yeah, I think that's, such an interesting and um, important part of what you know the the the, uh, the enterprise is kind of moving with and what the, the morals of Starfleet that he was able to articulate, which I'm doing such a great job of right now <laughs> as I stumble <laughs> over my words. <laughs> no, we 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 get it. Um, now th this is a little bit more of a superficial question. Uh, I know we we always joke in the podcast that Chris likes to. Uh, you know, pose and talk about very deep philosophical stuff. And I'm like, yeah, but did you see the phaser that guy had? You know, so <laughs> it's, it's a bit of a yin and a yang for us. I guess it, it, it right. definitely works. But right. one, of, one of the questions I had, because obviously, um, you know, you, you don't look like you on the show. You look like an, an Enar. And so right. my question was, what was the, uh, the makeup and the prosthetic like timeline i mean it looks like it had to have taken a good like three to four hours of makeup every single time yeah it was three and a half hours um to get the, all the prosthetics glued on and then painted uh before i even went to costumes and then at the end of the day it was a full hour to get out uh they would have to basically peel 15 separate pieces of prosthetic off my face and then uh scrub the paint <laughs> that was used so yeah every day that i was in that was that was the process so they scrubbed and you lost a few layers of your own skin at the same time i guess that's how i look so young <laughs> that's right it removed it removed any age lines at all that you might have had oh that's right that's right <laughs> so okay i'm gonna ask you a bit of a cliche question and i only ask this because or I always say that because at, at conventions, you know, you always get actors who are like, oh, they ask me what my favorite episode is. And I don't know because I have all these episodes. But Strange New World only has 10 episodes so far. Was there a specific episode that you can think of that was your favorite, quote unquote, Hammer episode? Favorite Hammer episode? Uh, yeah, I think it's I think I have to go with with 109. Um, mm. the getting to flip the, the Vulcan salute is high on the bucket list of things to do on Star Trek. Um, getting to sacrifice myself. Um, and it was also, 
I mean, this is uh, maybe telling tales out of school, but we did a couple of days of stunts and they had me hooked up into a wire apparatus and flown like three stories into the ceiling. So because of the, the shot of him falling out of the back of the ship, they were actually going to have, you know, kind of a, me falling away uh, and getting to do that, uh, getting rigged up in a harness and flown is... Uh, that was the coolest thing. <laughs> it really was. I mean, the first time I went up, I, I, I think I may have had to change my pants afterward. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna ask if you had peed yourself or something. Oh, it's. I mean, it. it the, those stunt guys make it look so easy. <laughs> so they, they really do. Um, but yeah, I got a couple of days of doing wire work, and uh, you know, unfortunately, that didn't make it into the into the show because I would have loved to have you know seen it what they had done with it but um yeah that was just so cool and it's it's a horror episode and I'm you know I was had a big big uh watching of horror films when I was in my 20s I was a bit of a fan of that stuff so getting to actually do you know alien basically <laughs> was was awesome yeah that episode had very much an aliens versus predator kind of feel to it and and uh especially when you think about it too Bruce because that episode obviously is based around an iconic Star Trek villain in the Gorn yeah and so um that was very interesting um the way they played that I'll be honest with you I was shocked when they got to the part where, you know, they said, oh, you know, the, the venom isn't just for, you know, hurting its prey. It's actually to, you know, pl implant babies into the into the uh, their host or whatever. Yeah. And so I'm thinking to myself, oh, no, does that mean Hammer has it? And like, what's going to happen? And then when it started going down that road, I'm like, they're not seriously going to kill him off, are they? They can't. They can't kill Hammer off. And then they did. So great. <laughs> well it, it's yeah, it's so funny because in a way like the the storytelling is is so good that that people were shocked and people were i mean leave them wanting more i guess and i have to i kind of it, it's a bit of cold comfort there but um but it is that good and that it had the response i think the worst thing would be for people to go either good glad he's gone or you know saw it coming a mile away or also whatever who cares move on uh and just to be forgotten in that way and that he's had that kind of effect it's i mean it's a real testament to the to the creators of the show and to the writers that uh, that they have managed to create a character that's got that kind of an impression and then to get the exit that has left um yeah has, has left a bit of a, a grief hole and watching the the beautiful funeral service after that scene, which I was not a part of, but I do remember um, just because we shot everything out of order, well, as you, as you do on these shows, um, you know, I came from my trailer and was sitting kind of off camera as we were preparing to shoot something else. And the rest of the cast had just, just finished shooting the funeral scene and just the way that they were kind of all shaken up and had obviously gone through something. I'm like, Oh, I think this is going to be a really special episode. And uh, honestly, the when I first time I read the script, I kind of cheered because I, I saw that Hemmer was going to have a hero's death. And then I anxiously chewed my fingernails until I got to watch the thing to see how it was all going to come out. And um, as a as a storyteller, as a creator, a writer myself, uh, when the episode was done, I just kind of leaned back and went good. Like that was really satisfying. And I'm so happy with how it all turned out.
you know, that, that's really wonderful. That, that is really beautiful. One of the things that, that I appreciated about this Bruce was um, not only the episode was, was beautiful and the series was beautiful, but um, you came into the show. Um, now you're, you're part of the Star Trek family forever, which I think is great, but, but it also allowed us to learn about you. Um, and now that, you know, you're part of the Star Trek family forever, I think, and because of the powerfulness of, of that episode that you talk, talk to, I think you'll be like a role model for a lot of different other artists and creators and actors as well. Um, and I think that's great for them to be able to watch you. Um, you know, they've got much more awareness um, and I have much more awareness now. So I'm just thinking, have you, um, you're, you're part of the Star Trek family, you know, forever, but you've got all these other parts and aspects of your life as a creator and an artist. Um, and I think you'll, you'll, you're also a role model too. Um, this, this more awareness that's going to be given to you. Um, have you thought about the effect and kind of the positive effects that, that this will have on some of your, your endeavors? Oh yeah. It's, um, and I've already seen, I've already seen the effect that it's had as, as folks have been reaching out to me, um, who have been inspired by the character and also by my own path as a, as a disabled artist. And, and that has been, it's funny. My mom tells a hilarious story about when I was in grade three, I saw my very first play. A theater company came to my elementary school and did a performance of a show for kids in our gymnasium. And they transformed the gymnasium into a theater and did this great show, which I, I remember the title Zeke and the Indoor Plants. They gave us a pencil at the end. And I was really, I, I came home after the performance and I was totally jazzed about, about what I had just witnessed in this show. And they, you know, Put on, they put on a play in our gym and there was music and it was amazing and, and you know I, I related the whole story and uh, at that age apparently I said to my mom I'm like I'm gonna I'm gonna do this I'm gonna write shows about people like me uh, disabled kids and I, and and that was really the trajectory for and and has been the trajectory since <laughs> since even now is was telling stories and 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 putting on shows and um, you know, putting out uh, characters and stories that we don't necessarily see all the time. And um, and that's really something that has uh, resonated all the way through um, my career and getting uh, responses from artists who are blocked in some way, either they feel blocked by their own physical abilities or perhaps it's they feel blocked by... Um, you know the marketplace and how there isn't there isn't room for them there isn't a, a place for a disabled voice or they feel blocked just you know getting up in the morning and they've got a million other things to do and they can't find the time for it and the blocked creatives that have that i've worked with and that i have encountered um and certainly for myself when i get blocked i need that inspiration i need to look around and find someone that I connect with and see how they're doing it and, and what are they, what skills are they using or what forces are they using to move through a creative life. And honestly, the conversations that have happened as a result of Star Trek have just been extraordinary. And I feel really like deeply, deeply honored because up until Star Trek, my, my reach or grasp was, was limited to, you know, the people that I encountered face to face in my public performances and Star Trek has put my face and my story and my 
desire to connect with other creatives on a global level. I mean, you know, chatted with someone from Scotland this morning and someone from New Zealand last week and chatting with the with a medical practitioner in Brazil who's who's doing research on retinoblastoma, which is the cancer that I had. So I, I feel really, really um, quite lucky that Star Trek has afforded that. It's opened a lot of doors um, for me as a, as a creative practitioner. Wow, that's, in, that's incredible. Thank you. And such a tremendous positive impact. Yeah, that's really inspiring, Bruce. And I, I will tell you this. Um, so my daughter was born legally blind in one of her eyes, and she has, she has glasses and stuff like that, and she sees pretty well. Um, but she also wants to be an actress and she, she is, she is everything like wants to perform and do all this stuff. And we're going to enroll her into, um, some theater, uh, classes in the summer next summer, I think, and get her going, but she really wants to do it. So I will tell you that I think you're an inspiration to my daughter because she, you know, has a little bit of that, but, um, still, you know, has a, a similar drive that you did where you want to do that. You want to, you want to get out there and you want to perform. And, um, so it's definitely inspiring. So we appreciate that. Oh, it's, yeah, it's, it's just, um, I think it's so important and, and growing up, there weren't a lot of visually impaired or legally blind actors that I could look to, um, as, you know, as role models or, uh, you know, you, you, it's just one of those those things about being an artist is you look for someone who's doing what you want to do and you emulate them and and there wasn't a lot of that out there uh, and then i discovered peter falk <laughs> i wish i'd discovered him a little bit earlier but um i read his story and that he'd had retinoblastoma and, and you know the trials and tribulations of being a one-eyed actor visually impaired actor um yeah it's and and when i read his story for the first time i got a real boost of uh encouragement and I think that if I can provide nothing else, I think just a little encouragement for those who are, who uh, are feeling blocked or are feeling, um, you know, perhaps uh, that the, the doors are closed out there. It's just sometimes you just got to keep banging on them and eventually they'll open up. Well, we're glad that you banged on the Star Trek door, Bruce, because <laughs> you brought us, you brought us Hemmer and we know you're going to continue to bring us many more amazing things, both in your personal life as well as in uh, in the Star Trek universe, and so we really look forward. I know you can't talk about him. But we really look forward to uh, to seeing you again, hopefully very soon on the screen um, in in a role in some capacity in Star Trek. Well, I can't wait. I can't wait. <laughs> we 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 can't either. Um, you know, uh, I, as as we looked at Strange New Worlds, it, it when when you were going through the the filming process for the show. Um, and you guys were doing episodes and you're reading the scripts and so forth. Um, w were there things like, obviously you're, you were a Star Trek fan growing up and, and sci-fi and comic books and stuff like that. Were there things in the script or when you guys were filming stuff, like, you know, it, it, when somebody watches a movie or a TV series and you spot what they call Easter eggs, right? Like, oh, that little thing back there, this thing in the scene, that is, that totally looks like something from this series or whatever right. were there things that stood out to you during the filming process we were like oh my gosh that's a identical to toss or this this comes from enterprise and so forth Ooh, yeah it was um well certainly the the introduction of the gorn i mean i think we all squealed when we read that it was pretty great uh but for myself as an actor i did have a few of those bucket list moments of 
you know, I got to play with the transporter. I got to do, you know, bringing on the little chunk of the the planet's core and actually getting to play with that stuff was, I mean, every set that I walked into, I was just fully geeking out over all the incredible <laughs> details and you know, standing on the transporter pad. I, and it was funny, the very last thing that I shot was the arrival of Hammer on the Enterprise when he beams in at the end of episode one. And they that was not in the the script that I had read. I mean, I don't. I mean, they they let me read uh, episode one just so I had some some context of it. But I, Hammer didn't appear in the original script of that, and it was literally the last day. I think we were actually doing some some media stuff, and they just sort of shuffled me into the transporter room and said, "Okay, we're gonna we're gonna beam you in at the end of uh, episode one." Just a little tag on. I mean, I got so excited about that because there was another thing that, like on the bucket list of I got to beam in. You know, I got to stand on the bridge at some point. And when I got to pick up the uh, the communicator in episode 108 and play with that, I mean, I and it was fully the replica of the original series communicator. Just flipping that thing open, I felt like, yeah, I felt like a kid. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so when when you when you were cast as Hemmer, yes. and uh, you got the script and everything like that. At what point during the process were you told, if at all, that Hammer was going to die? Like, was it early on in the process, or was it kind of a surprise later on? Like, when did you know that you your character was going to die in season one? Oh, I knew it when, during the audition process. Um, Henry Alonso Myers, uh, I think, was in on my last audition, and we talked about Hammer and the role of Hammer and how he was not going to make it. And he flat out expressed from the very start. He's like, this is a really hard thing because all the writers had fallen in love with him. <laughs> you know, by the time they'd, I think they had finally broken the stories open, they, they'd realized, oh, we really like this character and it's going to be so hard, which is also, I think, pretty great that they were willing to risk that, you know, that they were willing to, um, willing to, uh, to let go of that character. So yeah, it was very early on. I, I purposely didn't talk about it with, uh, any of the other cast until we had read that episode and, and I think we only read episode 109 maybe a week before we started shooting it so all that time um, I think most of the cast had no idea that it was coming and uh, yeah again like reading it all I knew up until you know a week before we started shooting it was that he was going to go and I had my fingers and toes crossed that it was going to be cool <laughs> I didn't. I didn't want Hammer to go as like pushing a button and thinking, you know, what's this do? And blows himself up. <laughs> I wanted. Uh, I wanted him to to have an impact. I was really hopeful that it would be just be cool. Just please be cool. And then I read it and thought, yeah, it's pretty cool. <laughs> it, yeah, I, I would definitely say it was cool. Um, obviously, we didn't want it to happen, but it it it, it very much was cool. I mean, the idea that you die. The same way they do in the alien movies is kind of is that's if you're a sci-fi nerd like like we all are then obviously that's pretty pretty neat yeah yeah <laughs> it, was, it was definitely heroic and noble like you say yeah totally. and and impactful wonderful wonderful so like um you you have a you have so many like creative and endeavors like as as we learned about you that that's going on you know just just thinking parallel to your work with, with Star Trek and then what you have going on in your life. I, I, I learned um, it's pretty awesome that you, you play piano, you're a musician, a piano, a composer, 
Um, so I, which I thought was, was incredible. I, I know you've got a lot of, a lot of other projects that you're doing parallel too. If, if you don't mind sharing those with sharing that with us, um, that would be wonderful and, and how that's been and what your experiences have been. Sure. Um, well, I started out my career, uh, in theater as an actor and, um, as a writer and a musician and composer. And then I got uh, out of theater school. Um, I got into improvisation as well I'm from Calgary, Alberta, which is the home of Loose Moose Theater. And the artistic director there is a man named Keith Johnstone who invented theater sports and wrote a you know kind of seminal book on improv called Impro. So I trained with him for a number of years. And then I moved to Toronto, Ontario and uh, trained in clowning so that was basically wow. my background i i developed a bunch of shows with some friends and i've toured all over canada with uh with our various theatrical productions and then in about 2011 a friend of mine saw me on stage a fellow i'd known for years and years who had no idea that i'm legally blind he knew that i had some vision problems knew that i couldn't drive but didn't know the extent of my my visual disability. So he asked me how I see and I said, well, why don't I sit down and paint your portrait? So I got some paint out and what uh, what began as a friendly chat and a portrait sitting turned into another career for me as over the course of that first year, I painted 365 portraits and sat with folks from all across the country and tried to interpret the way that I see. And that project has continued to this day. I've moved it online now. So I sit with people over Zoom and do a 45 minute chat interview and sketching session. And then I go off and I work from the sketches and from the audio recording that I've taken of the Zoom session and turn it into a, 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 another portrait. So I'm getting close to having done a thousand of them now. Wow. Kind of. You know, that's the that's the first goal. I'm sure the goalposts will move as I get to portrait number 998 or something like that. I'm having too much fun. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I get to sit with people all over the world now. And uh, folks find me on my, my website, brucehorak.com, and they book a portrait sitting and get to hang out for an hour and then mark the time with a, with a piece of art, which is pretty spectacular. Um, working, continuing in the visual art, so I paint, landscape paintings and i have a patreon account uh, a patreon page and people that subscribe to that get an original hand-painted card from me every month so it's a little greeting card that i'll paint and uh, i enjoy doing that i spend you know a couple of hours every day just sketching and painting and then send them out to my patrons which is awesome fun uh continuing to compose and write music here at the studio where i am and uh i actually just finished recording uh, the voice of the Scarecrow in an upcoming audio book production of The Wizard of Oz, which is um, going to be put out. Uh, they're going to start a Kickstarter campaign in September. And uh, it's a company that does described books for blind and visually impaired children. So The Wizard of Oz has all these really wonderful illustrations in it. Uh, I think John R. Neal might have been the original illustrator. Uh, really wonderful stuff. And there hasn't been an audio book of The Wizard of Oz that actually has descriptions of the illustrations. So this company, uh, and I'm blanking on the name of them now, I think it's called Described Audiobooks, maybe. They did a, a 
Winnie the Pooh was their first one last year. <laughs> and uh, they also, what's also really interesting about this particular audiobook is that everyone who's doing the voices and I think even the engineer are all blind or visually impaired performers. Uh, so that's coming out this year and uh, also just continuing to create live theatrical productions. I've got a production of uh, Goblin Macbeth with my creative partner, Rebecca Northam, which we premiered in Calgary in, in March. And we're doing a remount of it in September, October in Calgary, Alberta, where three goblins discover the complete works of William Shakespeare and decide to try theater for the first time. <laughs> we have these absolutely dynamite silicon masks from a company in the states called composite effects and they i think they do some of the prosthetic or uh, silicon mask work for like game of thrones i mean it's that that style that kind of heightened amazing stuff so these three goblins have a grand old time doing some shakespeare and then i'm also uh i know this, this is my resume but uh in february of 2023 i will be touring manitoba in Ca in canada the beautiful province of Manitoba in February, which promises to be cold. I have a one-person show called Assassinating Thompson, where I paint a portrait of the entire audience while I tell the story of becoming one of Canada's only legally blind visual artists. And I solve the mystery of who killed Tom Thompson, who was a iconic Canadian painter who died under mysterious circumstances in 1917. Following the performance, I auction off the painting to the highest bidder and we donate the proceeds to a local charity that's my year <laughs> wow that's that's fantastic that's uh you're not doing much are you bruce <laughs> well i jokingly wow. say that it's uh i do anything to keep from getting a real job <laughs> well you got a lot of that's a lot of fantastic work um it certainly sounds uh you know fun to go see and, and for those of you listening be sure to go check out you know, his website. Um, I have been to your website, Bruce. I will say uh, your artwork on there is exquisite. I think it's fantastic. Um, and uh, the idea of getting like a hand-drawn, hand-painted card every month is is very enticing. That sounds like a lot of fun. I'm, you know what? If my mother asks, I'm having a great time. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the... The question, one of the questions that I was thinking through as we were kind of uh, building our notes for this episode yes. is if there, if, if Hemmer had not died in season one, this is a little bit of a hypothetical here, Great. and he continued on in, in, the, in the series, um, you know, alive and everything, how, where do you think he ends up? I mean, obviously, we know at some point down the road when Pike is not captain of the Enterprise anymore and it's Kirk. And, you know, you get Scotty and stuff. Scotty's going to be the chief engineer. We all know that. But leading up to that point, d does Hemmer stay on board the Enterprise? Does he leave? I mean, uh, an Enar is not the most common species to see on board a Starfleet vessel. So um, I was curious on your take. Where do you, where do you think Hemmer would have ended up uh, had, had his storyline continued? Oh, that is a great question. Um, there's, it's so, yeah, I love, I love digging into this stuff because the, yeah, you can start to see some of the arc of it. I think the, the thing that had to be challenged for me is Hammer and his pacifism. So at some point, is he forced to kill? At some point, point is he forced to do violence? Um, you know, and what kind of situation is going to lead to that? Because when you have a character with a strong ethical stance on something, the, the, the obvious thing is to challenge that stance and to put them in a situation where either they have to 
you know, die without breaking their code or are they going to break the code and then what are the ramifications of that? Um, I think that would have been a really interesting long arc for him. Uh, you know, even the fallout of it afterwards, I think would be fascinating. Um, where, where he ends up <laughs> physically, I don't know. Uh, yeah, beyond being the chief engineer of the enterprise, then what's the step up from that, I wonder? Uh, yeah, I always thought like, uh, if if he had continued on right, and he's the engineer on the enterprise and stuff, and he, he decides, you know, I'm, I based on all these missions we've gone on and stuff, and there's 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 so much, you know, uh, bloodshed and everything else, and he ends up going back to Andoria and goes back and lives with his people in um, in the the ice cave mountain area that they're from. Yeah, I always thought that is a possibility. Maybe he goes back to his roots if he decides that you know what. Starfleet just isn't for me anymore. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. I could, I absolutely could see, you know, what what it would drive him to. But you know, also the question of what is what is wiping out the Enar race. I mean, they say at least on Memory Alpha or something like there's only a thousand of them left at this point. So, what is is there? A, do they just kind of dwindle out, or is there some cataclysmic event that wipes out the final, you know, few few hundred? Um, and then, but. Yeah, that's all lovely speculation, and maybe there's uh, that gets resolved in season seven of Strange New Worlds. You know what? I hope it gets. I mean, you know, Star Trek Picard's only getting three seasons, and I hope that um, that Strange New Worlds gets more than three seasons because the show is just so good. And in today's streaming media, you know, world we live in, it seems like streaming shows now, like Strange New Worlds or Discovery, Picard, and stuff like that, that live on a streaming service versus the you know cable television um their seasons aren't like the uh, the classic trek series where they're getting 20 some episodes now it's like 10 12 episodes and that's it yeah per season so it's it's it, i know chris and i were talking about this because to, to me and, and this isn't meant to be a dig at any that are series but to me strange new worlds was the show that i think modern star trek needed um mm -hmm. it goes back to the roots of star trek in my opinion and we, we've said this several times to each other that we, we can't get enough of Strange New Worlds. And I, I hope that based on the storyline with Pike and what's going to happen to him down the road, that we get, you know, five, six, seven seasons because, you know, with only 10 episodes a season, I don't see any reason they couldn't go that long. Mm. Yeah. Plus, by going that many seasons, we might have a chance to get some more Bruce in our <laughs> lives in Strange New Worlds in different roles. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, it's 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 a win-win for everybody, right? Absolutely. <laughs> um, so you know, in, in a little over a week, we're gonna, uh, you know, I'm headed to the Las Vegas Star Trek convention, and I know five of your castmates are gonna be there. And I'm wondering why the heck Creation hasn't gotten you there yet. Fine. Yeah, I don't understand that. So I have sent an email to them saying that they need to get you there. I don't know if that's gonna happen, but, uh. In your mind, what would it be like going to your first Star Trek convention from, from a different side, from being a member of a cast oh, and being wow. a part of that? <laughs> I, would, I would love that. I mean, I've been dreaming of Vegas since, well, since I first heard about it. Uh, yeah, what, a, what an incredible thing that would be. We got a little taste of that world when uh, I got invited down to the New York premiere, which was a huge thrill. Um, 
And uh, that moment where I walked out of the hotel and there was a lineup of people who not only recognized me, but had stacks of hammer pictures to be autographed. Uh, I just, my head just started spinning. I'm like, what is this world? And then driving up to the movie theater and there were people in costumes lining up around the block and what a absolute thrill to, uh, to just to experience all that. And just the outpouring of uh, love for the series and, you know, love for the franchise. It's, uh, it's really wonderful. And then I get to just on the other, you know, be a part of that and geek out on, on it as well. And, you know, talk about, uh, and well, and learn about all of the many facets of what the, what the world of Star Trek has to offer. Um, yeah, I, uh, I, I can't wait. I'm, I'm certain that the convention circuit will, will eventually uh, happen for me. It's just, a, I guess, a matter of time. Oh, it, it's going to happen. I, I can almost guarantee it because uh, there will be there will be an outpouring of hate mail if they do not get you to the convention because we all need some hammer at the Las Vegas Star Trek convention. Agreed. That is for sure. Agreed. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's absolutely going to happen. Absolutely going to happen. Um, since you know, since we are talking about like a little bit from a fan perspective. Um, and I'm just curious, and, and we know you, you're a, a great Star Trek fan, a sci-fi fan too. I'm curious, Bruce, like um, in, in you, when you grew up, did you have, a, out of the Star Trek series, um, not including Star Trek Strange New Worlds? Mm. I know in Zach's mind, like you can only give one answer, but I'm, I'm curious, did you have a, out of the Star Trek series, is, is there one that is close to your heart that you have a favorite? Of the series? Yes, yes. <laughs> well, because the original series was my introduction to it, that's certainly, you know, that's that's the bedrock on which all the others are are based. Um, I I really have a real fondness for Enterprise, and the reason is, of course, that. I just enjoyed the show. I was a huge Scott Bakula fan from Quantum Leap days. And uh, when it was the time when I had watched it, I just happened to be at a really formative period in my life. And that show was just, it was like the, the background music at the restaurant. And every time <laughs> I hear it, um, not the, uh, not, not to disparage it, but I, I do skip the theme song, but um <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's just something about about the stories in that show and uh, and the relationships on it that, yeah, I'm very very fond of it. Um, but honestly, every every series I I love for a different reason. Um, yeah, it's it's so hard to play favorites, but uh, and and I, of course I have to disqualify Strange New Worlds because I'm on it. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. Well, uh, w without Chris trying to, to, to run me over with the bus here, uh, what he, I, I, my, my favorite series of all time is going to be D Space Nine, although Strange New Worlds is creeping up, let me tell you what. Um, oh, great. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I am kind of the same way, though. I mean, I have my favorite series, but I, I love each of the series, but they're really all for different reasons, you know? I mean, I think Star Trek is great in that regard, and, and it, going, kind of going back to what you mentioned Earlier uh, in our chat, you mentioned about, you know, um, uh, uh, inclusivity and things like that and, and breaking down barriers and stuff. And I think, you know, when you're talking about a, a, a blind character in Hammer, 
Uh, Star Trek has always been about that idea of like diversity and representation and, and, you know, Gene Roddenberry saying that, uh, you know, we really are all stronger together than we are, uh, uh, separate and that it's the differences that we have, um, with each other, uh, that is what makes things great. You know, that we can all come together and have different ideas and different thoughts and different perspectives. And that's, that's what makes things great versus everybody being exactly the same. Definitely. Definitely. Well, Bruce, we really do appreciate this. Um, this has been an absolute uh, treat for us. We have been more than honored to have you on the podcast. Um, and uh, this, the, we, we could not have asked for um, a better opportunity to, to talk with you, to learn more about you and your work. Uh, and obviously, uh, you know, just to kind of gush on you a little bit about Hemmer and, and your role. And like Chris said, you're, you are now part of the Star Trek universe, the Star Trek family. That will awesome. never go away. And uh, we hope that we hope that we get to see more of you going forward, uh, which sounds like we may, which is great. Um, and we hope that, you know, down the road, uh, if we see when we see Hemmer again or we see you in other roles, we hope to have you back on on here to, to chat more about that and to find Love out it. what you're up to at that point in your life. Love it. Well, and keep please keep the letter writing campaign going because I would love to go to Vegas. 100 percent, Bruce, 100 percent. We are we, we, we really, really hope that. Um, you're able to get there. We know you will get there. It's just a matter of when. Right. Um, and 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 even if it's not just Vegas, we hope that it's it's Vegas and some of the other locations as well. Awesome. Uh, because I can guarantee you, there are lots of people out there that want to see Hemmer and 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 meet you and and talk with you and and hear your perspective, just like our, our listeners are are uh, getting a chance to hear now. So um, yeah, thank you so much for taking time out of your really busy schedule to chat with us to share with us. Uh, this has been an absolute honor for us. My pleasure. Thank you both. Yeah, thank you very much. And thank you to all those who are listening. Uh, if you have been listening, be sure to check out uh, Bruce's website. And he's got a lot of great information on there, his paintings. Um, like you said, he's, he's got a Patreon on there. Be sure to go out and give him some love, show him some support, and uh, let him know what you think of uh, his work as well as his role on Star Trek Strange New Worlds. So thanks again, as always, everybody, for listening. Chris, as always, this has been awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much, Bruce. Pleasure. And as always, everybody, we thank you again, and we'll catch you next time right here on the Random Red Shirt Podcast. Take care, everybody.